What's going on, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to an exclusive two-for-one edition of Open Run This Week, discussing the circus known to many hoop fans as the NBA trade deadline. My name is Gabriel Wilkins, and you know that I'm joined by my man and senior NBA writer here at War Media, Josh Hicks, to discuss all that is arguably one of the hottest days of the year on the basketball calendar that is always filled with multiple Woj bombs and sham wows until it is all officially complete. How are you feeling after what's transpired over the last 24 hours? Had a big time trade go down that woke up a lot of people. And for those who were asleep, they sure as hell missed out on something and later found out about it once they woke up. <laughs> Man, my head hurts. That's how much <laughs> I, thought, I, I think. I think it was like you said twenty. It was I think it was twenty trades that took place today, not including the ones that took place earlier in the week. Man. Yeah, 28, 28 out of thirty teams made at least one trade prior Jeez. to the trade deadline wrapping up at three p.m. today, Eastern Standard Time. Yeah, that's wild, bro. Yeah, my head hurts. Following all that stuff today, my my head hurts. So, but at the end of the day. It is an exciting time in, uh, for basketball fans and hoop heads. And uh, I'm excited to see what this second half of the season is going to be because this there was a lot, of, a lot of moves that caught a lot, a lot of my eye. Yeah, indeed. And in this special installment of Open Run, me and Josh will take out the time to break down all that has transpired on the marketplace in the last couple of days. It's 28 out of 30 NBA teams made at least one move prior to the conclusion of the trade deadline. But prior to us doing so, we'd like to give a special salute to the man known as King James for surpassing the iconic big man, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, officially as the NBA's all-time leading scorer this past week. As me and Josh will share our thoughts on this very grand accomplishment in LeBron's career and more in next week's episode, as myself and Josh will be utilizing this show to uncover the moves that may help to shift the balance of power in the league for teams as we know it. We already talked about the Kyrie Irving trade to the Dallas Mavericks at the top of the week and shared our thoughts on that. However, the biggest move that went down took shape when everyone was asleep between either late Wednesday night or during the early portion of Thursday morning, depending on which time zone you were in, between the Nets and Suns involving Kevin Durant as the Western Conference champs from two seasons ago acquired the all-star forward alongside of T.J. Warren by way of Brooklyn in exchange for the Nets getting Mikhail Bridges, Cam Johnson, Jay Crowder, four first-round picks in 2023, 2025, 2027 and 2029 with a 2028 first round pick swap. I go real fast before passing this over to you. My initial thoughts were it finally happened. Just like I thought it was going to happen. From the moment Kyrie got traded at the end of last weekend, it made sense for Brooklyn to part ways and let KD go. It made perfect sense. And as much as we appreciate Woj for breaking the news, I felt like he was stalling. Just like last year with James Harden going to Philly. You hear things. You hear rumblings. 
people saying all type of stuff. This is always the year where if you really got intel and, and, and know people that's within these circles, you hear things. And I'm like, Kevin Durant, Phoenix, they were linked up with one another all last summer when it was reported that Kevin Durant was seeking to get out of Brooklyn then until he finally came to some level of compromise with the Nets. But with all that said, I'm not surprised. We knew that the Suns needed to go all in. They did that. And now it's championship or bust down in the desert. I'll pass it over to you, Josh. Well, as you infamously know that when we started the show uh, for this week, Mm -hmm. we had to play boys to men end of the road (laughs) because we knew it was coming. We said it, we, we said it from the beginning of the show, like, People were too people were shocked and worried about Kyrie. And I said, nah, y'all worried about the wrong thing. This was the first domino. KD yeah. about to pull the trade card again and get out of there. <laughs> and this brother got out of there. And like you said before, we kind of knew it was kind of an inevitable for it to happen. You know, uh the we've heard from our various sources in the league that, you know, the link to Kevin Durant and, and Phoenix Suns was pretty much probable and inevitable at that point. It was going to eventually happen. Um, it's just a matter of when, but Brooklyn made the right move to just get rid of it all done now, uh, as well as recoup what they can from that trade. They got a nice haul they from did. that trade. Not, we're not talking just Mikel Bridges, who was a really good cornerstone uh, player for that franchise. Um, but also you got Cam Johnson too, who was doing very well this season, uh, uh, aside from injury. And it was able to flip Jay Crowder to Milwaukee for five second round picks yeah. on top of getting four first round picks. They had a nice, they did a nice job with the haul that they got. And um, to replenish pretty much what they lost just between James Harden, as well as, uh, you know, now this Kyrie trade. So Brooklyn did what they were supposed to do. Like you said, it wasn't surprising. It was just about time, but it is it is the end of the road for the Brooklyn Nets. And now that the end of the road is here, yeah, it's unnatural. Sometimes you may feel like you could say it feels like you belong to me, I belong to you, which in the <laughs> beginning it kind of made sense. But no, the divorce was it was the, the, this divorce was necessary. KD's was just much more peaceful. And you know, we just see how we see we we'll see what moves down moving forward because. The West got stacked, not just because Kyrie, Man. not just because of Kyrie getting boosted over, over there with Luca, but KD now is in the most prominent position he could ever be since his Golden State Warrior days to win another championship. And to me, the, per- the person that really should be happy about this trade, it's not just James Jones. It's not just Kevin Durant. It's Chris Paul. Because people thought for the longest, after that one uh, finals run that they made, with his injuries adding up and knowing that he has another at least three, two to three more years on that deal. They thought this was it. It's over. That window has shrunk. But for the Suns to bring Kevin Durant, to pair him with Chris Paul and Devin Booker, who was in his prime, and keep DeAndre Aiden in the process, a prime big man. This is the perfect ship 
for Kevin Durant to actually lead his team and win a championship and say, I am the I am I am he. You have to put some respect on my name. This is the perfect opportunity for him for him to do that. It's a matter of him, it's a, it's a matter, it's a, it's just about them executing. And you can argue this is the best coach he's had too, with Monty Williams being there. You can argue that outside of Steve Kerr. So it's it's a the, t- the time is now. It's it's Phoenix got to win it this year, and they just got to execute and get it done. And see, I agree with you when you say that the biggest winner in this deal really is Chris Paul, because he didn't get dealt, and we know that the reports indicated per Chris Haynes of Bleach Report at the top of this week that the Nets and the Suns were in discussion mm-hmm. in regards to Kyrie Irving. Yep. And part of that exchange was Chris Paul, who I still believe down the road will get dealt. But for this year, he's safe. He, he's safe. But the reason why I think he'll get dealt down the road is because he's only owed $15.8 million guaranteed in 2023-2024. His contract becomes fully guaranteed if not waived by June 28, 2023 this year. There's no money guaranteed in 24-25, but it could become fully guaranteed if he's not waived by June 28, a year from now, 2024. Mm. So he has some interesting stipulations in that contract. But with that said, yeah, he's safe for now. And... I like the move a lot for Phoenix and, and shout out to Matt Ishbia, man. Yeah. Talk about a hell of a job. It's your first day as an owner. Didn't waste Take no over time. the operation at 11 in the morning. And before it's time to close up shop, you get one of the top five players talent wise in the game. Mm-hmm. Kudos to you. I, I, I give them nothing but respect. That's a way to make a major bang as an owner in the league. And you knew he was going to try and make a move and go all in. And Rich Kleiman, in my opinion, was working overtime using Chris Haynes and, and Woj and everybody in the media to set it up very well. Because he said, hey, if any team is interested in Kevin Durant, please let us know. However, the team that we would like to hear from is Phoenix. Yep. He put that out there. So... Once he put that out there, I was like, oh, the writing's on the wall. And what would make you think that Kevin Durant wasn't going to Phoenix when you had reports coming out all out the woodwork following the Kyrie trade that the Nets and the Suns were in talks about Kyrie? And the deal didn't go through. That should have been a clue. And I'm going to say this. Beware. Because if Kyrie Irving does not re-sign with the Dallas Mavericks on a contract extension and he does not want to go to the Los Angeles Lakers, he can easily go to the Phoenix Suns and a sign-and-trade deal that will involve DeAndre Ayton more than likely. I'm just saying. Lakers and the Suns are in an interesting spot, but Phoenix right now is in the ultimate 
place to be. You ain't lying, brother. You ain't lying. <laughs> and the ultimate place to be. But what you what you think about Brooklyn's future, man? Like they they had to get all these assets in the wake of losing their top two players a year after losing James Harden within this same time span. And they still have some promising pieces. Cam Thomas, as we know, mm-hmm. youngest player since Allen Iverson in league history to drop 40 points or more in three consecutive games as we record this on a Thursday. I, I, I like what they trying to do, but to me, the biggest winner in all this too that we haven't talked about, of course, because they're one of the worst teams in the league right now, but they own all their draft picks. Should they go off the rails? The Houston Rockets. Yeah. I mean, the Houston Rockets are, I wouldn't say they are big winners of the trade deadline. Because, yes, from your perspective, in the the picks, that part, yeah, most definitely they won that. But what I don't know what they did today when they decided to trade back what they lost and held oh, captive we're gonna and get John to that. Wall. <laughs> we're going to get to that one. If that wasn't the most bogus move ever. Yeah, that was wild. Yeah, but, you know, I, so Houston, you know, they, they, they don't have all the problems solved. They still got problems. For sure. That's, but outside of that, oh, yeah, Houston Rockets definitely got a splash as far as uh, the Brooklyn Nets and how their team is currently faring out right now. I think – you know, I think they have a good chance to somewhat level off. And the only reason why I say that is because the quick emergence of Cam Thomas. He stepped in into that role in such a way to where he said, no, I don't need you. I don't need KD and Kyrie. I'm good right here, right now by myself. I'll give you a 30, 30 a night if you want it. And I think he's poised for that. Mm-hmm. And, and because of that, I don't think Brooklyn is too much of a, of a, of, of, of a waste per se. But I really personally do feel bad for Jock Vaughn. And the reason why I do is because Jock Vaughn has had coaching opportunities before as a head coach. Didn't make, didn't, hasn't been that successful per se. But he is a well-respected coach. And players love him. And you can tell when you get him top-tier talent, he'll make it work. He was rolling with Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving leading the helm. But now that's gone. And there's no guarantee that he's going to be back next year because of this. Kevin Durant played a huge role in pretty much elevating Jacques Vaughn. So I feel bad that Jacques Vaughn is in a situation where he previously was before in previous head coaching opportunities that he's had, where he's on a team where he doesn't have, where he has some talent, but not the best talent to get out of what he's trying to implement. And that is going to be an unfortunate situation when you talk about the win-loss column, because after this year, he only has one chance. He has one year. There's yeah. no, he doesn't have a, it's not like he's there long-term. He only has one more year after this to see what they're going to do. So this offseason is going to be really interesting to see what, what Brooklyn does, considering the fact that you're pretty much going into a rebuild. And as you're going into a rebuild, you got, you're doing it with a coach that only is there for one year. There's no guarantee he's going to be, be there after next year. So I just feel bad for Jock Vaughn and all of this because He's not guaranteed success moving forward past this season and next year, depending on what that contract looks like and what Brooklyn chooses to do, he may not even have next year. 
So it's just something that we have to consider and really think about. And I hate that Jock Vaughn, who is a well-respected coach in the NBA, especially from a, especially from a player's perspective, is put in another unfortunate situation that is out of his control. Yeah, and it's very unfortunate, especially when you consider the, the great job that he was doing. And Brooklyn had the longest winning streak in the league this season, at least to date as we record this. They had won 12 in a row, mm -hmm. like between mid-December up into early January. So this team was clicking, and they were finding its rhythm. And it is unfortunate to see Jock get caught up in this when he's on a short-term deal, as you alluded to. but. At the same time, and I'm glad you pointed that out, they do have some talent aboard. And this isn't what one would consider to be basketball hell, truly. You yes. do have a guard in Spencer Dinwiddie who's going to be an immediate contributor there in Brooklyn. Yes, he could be sh shrieky at times and inconsistent, but he will provide instant offense on the nights in which he's hot. And that's a guy that can play off of a Cam Thomas. And then you have Ben Simmons, albeit he's dealing with injury. He's dealing with injury. And he's trying to still work his way back in the form. But if he can, he has a team that will be in dire need of whatever he can provide. And if he can get back to that Ben Simmons that was attacking the rim at will, pushing the ball out in transition and finding a way to get to the line. He's all always been a, a impact player on the defensive end. This could be the spot for him to showcase who he truly is as he seeks to find himself after spending several years in Philadelphia and playing up to all-star status in which we all anticipated that he would when he came out of LSU and went number one overall during the 2016 NBA draft. So when I, when I think about that, it, it's, it's a lot of opportunities for guys to prove themselves. And Jock is no different, but Jock was really on pace to win coach of the year and in my opinion, if he's able to continue some level of success with this group as they find their footing, he still should be in the running for that award, mm -hmm. in my opinion, going forward. But Brooklyn, it remains to be seen. But I want to move things along from the blockbuster Durant trade to discussing another deal that took shape just hours prior to the deal between the Nets and the Suns. It was a three-team multiplayer deal between the Lakers, Timberwolves, and Jazz that took place where the L.A. Lakers received D'Angelo Russell, Malik Beasley, and Jared Vanderbilt, while Minnesota received Mike Conley Jr., Nikhil Alexander-Walker, Damian Jones, Juan Toscano-Anderson, and second-round picks in the 2024, 2025, and 2026 drafts, respectively. And Utah received Russell Westbrook, who is expected to receive a buyout alongside of a 2027 first round draft pick courtesy of Los Angeles, which is top four protected. What was your thoughts on that move? We know that the Lakers were in dire need of shooting. I feel as though they got that with this trade in D'Angelo Russell and Malik Beasley alongside of some size on the wing as well with Jared Vanderbilt, 
who should help that defense, which as of this recording is currently 20th overall in defensive rating. The Lakers are some gangsters, man. I'm going to be <laughs> honest. The Lakers are some gangsters. Um, there's always the question mark of Rob Plinka. Are you going to actually be the, the, the stronghold, you know, GM, president of operations, the big guy on campus when it comes to a Laker franchise, but you still got the king on your, on your roster. Are you going to be able to be that gangster of a dude and be that bold to make the changes you need to make? Today, I ain't going to lie. You said y'all going to get it today. You said y'all going to learn. Because <laughs> how gangster is it for you to have the just two nights ago, the king breaks the all-time record mm-hmm. of the score at, for scoring in the NBA. And half the people on them team is gone. Like, think about that. <laughs> like, that, you know how gangster you got to be to be like, oh, yeah, thank you for your services for helping to celebrate this night. Oh, yeah, we're going to ship you out to a new team, though. Deuces. Like, that's that's just gangster with it. And I got to give them credit. I think the Lakers are the biggest winners of trade deadline because there ain't mm. no way you were able to flip the roster the way that they did to help. This honestly reminds me, in a lot of ways, of the second stint of LeBron's Cleveland era when they flipped picks to get guys like Rodney Hood, Jordan Clarkson, those guys to come into Cleveland, you got a rejuvenated LeBron James and he took them to the finals. Like that's what this trade deadline for the Lakers reminded me of, because especially when we talk about this specific deal right now with D'Angelo Russell, D'Angelo Russell is so multidimensional that he's not only going to help lift the shoulder of LeBron James when it comes to shooting and scoring the basketball, but also ball handling and facilitating an offense. He, he, he provides an extra layer of playmaking that Russ, as much as Russ, we know Russ can do, he couldn't do in this specific offense. So because of that, he, D'Angelo Russell, even though he needs the ball, it's not going to be as much as Russ. He mm-hmm. knows how to be a spot-up shooter, which is, Russ, which is what Russ couldn't do. And... Like you said, you had additional shooting. Malik Beasley shooting over 40% from three. That's yep. huge for the Lakers. Um, Jerry Vanderbilt bringing defensively what he could bring to the table with that long length is huge. Um, and in a lot of ways can help um, the Lakers, especially when you talk about going to smaller lineups where AD still may not have to play the five. You can still put Vanderbilt in that role. Um, and I know we're just talking about this specific trade. But even the other additional trades, we talk about bringing Mobamba in. Yeah. The youth and that athletic system to pair up with an Anthony Davis. That's something that they didn't have that was necessary. That's the, the, to have all that come together. And yet you have, you eliminated, you, you help drop the cap space a little bit from, and present from the luxury tax perspective. And you may not have all the money in the world going into next season. But you still got something that can that you can work with, including potentially getting Kyrie to come to the Lakers. Still, that's that's pretty good work. I will admit that's pretty good work. So I must tip my cap off to Rob Palenka and the Lakers for doing something that we didn't think they had the balls to do. I'm just gonna be honest with you. We didn't think they a had lot the of people thought that. A lot of people did. You weren't alone. Yeah. So I I definitely give them credit for that and. Hey, LeBron, I think we're going to see a, Le- a rejuvenated LeBron James is going to help bring this Lakers team 
past the playoff round, past the play, definitely past the play-in tournament. Lakers have a good chance of going past that now with these reinforcements. I agree when you say they have a chance to get past that play-in round. With where they're at right now and what they currently have, I can see this team being a team that is a sixth seed or a seventh. And if they are in that seventh seed range, then they'll have to play their way in to the playoffs. But if they could get into that sixth seed spot and avoid it, that could be a blessing in disguise for them, depending on the matchup. Now, when this trade was initially made, which was hours prior to the Kevin Durant trade to Phoenix. I liked it. Mm-hmm. And I still do because one thing is you alluded to in your points when it comes to D'Angelo Russell is he doesn't need the ball in his hands to be effective at a high volume the way that Russell does. And that was one of his issues actually when he was in Minnesota. He was being called upon to play so much point guard due to the injury to their backup point guard, Jordan McLaurin, until they got Austin Rivers in. And he was saying, hey, I can play off of the ball too. And he actually prefers to play off the ball. Playing besides LeBron James, who was a ball-dominant player in his own right, I think will give LeBron an added luxury. And you combine that with his ability to shoot the three ball at a high clip and a proficient rate, then, yeah, that that's even – an added bonus when you consider how much this team has struggled from beyond the arc all year long. My only concern with D'Angelo Russell is, is can he hold up defensively? Mm-hmm. And if so, that's an added plus as well, but you better make sure that that back line help is solid. And the Lakers defense has not been what we once knew it to be during the days of the Frank Vogel era. Right. So with all of that said, I'm still trying to see what things, you know, happen and what what they could do as far as maybe on a buyout market, potentially, if they want to go that route. But I think for the most part, their roster set. Mo Bamba was a huge signing in the wake of the Thomas Bryant trade. Right. who wanted out of L.A. because he didn't find it favorable that he was getting his minutes cut in the wake or in the aftermath, shall I say, of Anthony Davis's return. So that they needed that because with A.D. and him having, you know, such an extensive injury history, you need some insurance there. I don't mind it. I think the Timberwolves got what they wanted and they were looking for a point guard. I think the Jazz got what they wanted out of this deal, which was an open book when it came to cap space. And they Mm -hmm. also got a 2027 first round pick as long as it falls outside of the top four. I think everybody got what they wanted for the most part. Everybody got what they wanted. Minnesota, they may need Mike Conley Jr. To be honest with you, in an effort to maximize what they acquired from Utah this past summer in Rudy Gobert. Yeah. So I think it's a move that works out for, for both sides. And then you brought up Malik Beasley. He's one of the top reserves in the league. Mm-hmm. And if he was starting, he probably could lead the, the league at three-pointers made with the way he's been shooting the ball, as you alluded to. He's shooting over 40% from three-point land. Yeah, they needed all that and some. And Vanderbilt, if he could just ever find a way to knock down catch-and-shoot looks, 
teams will have a problem with him because that's the only thing they can't respect about his game right now. But outside of that, he could be a very serviceable contributor off of the bench or as a starter, depending on what direction that Darvin Ham wants to go. Oh, yeah, it's it's all there. And I, and I like the fact that you mentioned Mike Conley because Mike Conley could also is also very good at being, when, when necessary, a Chris Paul-esque type of player when you talk about facilitating and getting guys in the right areas they need to go. Putting that with Anthony Edwards is yeah. ideal for Anthony Edwards. He's gonna that's gonna help take his game that much further. Um, with the way Mike Mike Conley can not only facilitate but still shoot the three effectively as well from a catch and shoot perspective. So Mike Conley might not only help Rudy Gobert, which is his former teammate, which is which was which was his former teammate, but at the same time, he can also help Anthony Edwards with the, with uh, help take his game to that next level. And that is something that from the Western Conference, already in a loaded Western Conference, with Anthony Edwards playing the all-star type of uh, year that he's having, that's going to be interesting to check the, you know, to monitor moving forward as well. Yeah, you got to think Ant-Man will get into that all-star game in Salt Lake City with the news that just came out this week surrounding Zion Williamson, who will not be playing in the all-star game this year due to a hamstring injury. And there were also a series of other deals that went down following the two largest trades that featured all-star players, such as the Portland Trailblazers and New York Knicks trade Mm -hmm. involving former lottery pick and Duke star Cam Reddish, who will be going to Portland in exchange for Villanova product Josh Hart, who is going to the New York Knicks. Portland also received a 2023 first round pick that is lottery protected as part of that deal. Josh alluded to this deal earlier when we were talking about the Kevin Durant trade, the Bucks landing Jay Crowder away from Brooklyn immediately just hours following the KD deal in exchange for a total of five second round draft picks as part of another three-team multiplayer deal that took place on the eve of the trade deadline coming to a close with Indiana. Golden State shipping off the number two overall pick in the 2020 NBA draft, James Wiseman to Detroit as part of a 14 deal leading to his draft classmate who went number 19 overall in that same draft, Sadiq Bay going to Atlanta dubs getting Gary Payton, the second back in return who they won a championship with a season ago, LA Clippers acquiring Eric Gordon is part of a three-team deal with Houston and Memphis involving Luke Kennard and John Wall, who are both headed to the Grizzlies and Rockets, respectively. Wall's expected to receive a buyout. Clippers also added vet center Mason Plumlee via Charlotte in exchange for Reggie Jackson in a 2028 second-round draft pick. Reggie Jackson is also expected to be bought out of his deal with Charlotte as they seek to compete for the Victor Wimbenyama sweepstakes. <laughs> but overall, out of all these moves, the moves that impressed me the most besides Cam Reddish going to Portland, which I am intrigued to see, mm-hmm. even though I think Portland at some point is going to have to make a move involving Mr. Loyalty himself, and that's Damian Lillard down the road. I, I do like that pickup, but the moves – that really impressed me the most with what the Clippers did. You yeah. add Eric Gordon, a two-way wing player that can shoot as well as defend and 
to only have to give up Luke Kennard and John Wall to get that, that's an added bonus when you put him on that second unit right beside a Norm Powell, who is also a solid wing defender who can shoot the ball. I like that pickup a lot because I think it provides them with something that Kennard couldn't, and that was a two-way threat. Yeah, we know Luke Kennard can shoot. He could put the ball on the deck a little bit, but defensively, if you watch the playoffs in the past with the Clippers, teams were hunting him down and attacking him and picking rolls every chance they could get. They will not be able to do that with Eric Gordon. And then to add Mason Plumley, when they needed a backup center behind Ivica Zubac, you got two of the top offensive rebounders in the league right now. And when it comes to playoff basketball in a half-court set. You need guys that's going to help you get extra possessions and do the dirty work for you, which those two big men can do. So those were the two moves that really impressed me the most. Out of those moves, which one impressed you the most, Josh? Man, you hit them on you, – you, you took them. But I'm really intrigued by the Cam Reddish deal because I'm going to be honest with you. I don't know why this dude keeps getting dealt. I just don't me. know why. Like – he fits today's game when you talk about multi-level score with good defensive capabilities. That can be built over time. He can be a very good two-way player in this league. Um, but pair, And I think pairing him with Damian Lillard, that's going to help ascend his game that much more because now he's around someone that knows how to do it. He's, no, he's around someone that knows how to not just shoot the ball at a, at a good rate, but effectively, Damon, Damon Dallas is a pretty good uh, perimeter defender as well. So to be able to see that day-to-day, that's honestly the best thing that could happen to Cam Reddish. I think when he was in Atlanta, being drafted to Atlanta, wasn't much opportunity opportunity there, especially since DeAndre Hunter was the main guy over there. Um, that made sense for him to go. But going to New York, he should have been playing in New York with the way they've been going up and down with the inconsistencies over there. I don't know why he hasn't wasn't getting much pub much pub over there, but to for him to go from there to Portland in a situation where he not only has to do them, he could really just be himself because who he's playing with, not just Dame Dollar, but Anthony uh, Simons and Shaden Sharp, all players that can you know that you know you can pretty much play him against. He, I think he'll have a field day in that second unit. And that's something that uh, Chauncey Billups would love to have and work with. So that's intriguing to me. Um, obviously, the clip what the Clippers have done is great. For some reason, they still haven't resolved that point guard situation, which is something that needs to be eventually addressed because you traded away two point guards. <laughs> um, so that needs to be eventually done. And like, I'm pretty sure they'll find a way to get that done during the during the buyout. But I'm I'm very intrigued by this Cam Reddish uh, thing. I want him to thrive. And I think being, him being in Portland does have a good chance for him to, to thrive, especially in that second unit. Um, it's another reinforcement that, that's under uh, Chauncey Billups' belt that I think could be very beneficial. And I think he's going to get a ton of minutes out there because they need help on the wing, mm-hmm. not just offensively, but defensively. Because this is a defense that's ranked at the bottom of the league in defensive efficiency. 
And the thing that I find funny about it is just 13 months ago, the Knicks gave up a first round pick to Atlanta for Reddish. And he has this breakout game against the Memphis Grizzlies Mm -hmm. during opening week of the season. And after he appeared in only 35 games, Tom Thibodeau's response was to bench him. At first, I didn't understand the move. However, it was hard to question it because what translated in the days following it. New York went on a winning streak. Jalen Brunson came into prominence. Quentin Grimes proved that he could be a 3 and D wing player for them that they needed. Other guys on their second unit, such as Miles McBride, stepped up. Isaiah Hardenstein, they came to the occasion as well. So once he wasn't able to get into that rotation, I figured that they would trade him. Now, his shot selection at times can be questionable, Mm -hmm. but I still believe that he's young enough to put it all together and own his skills into carving out a role for himself in the league, whether it's as a six-man off of the bench who's an instant scorer and a bucket getter and a defensive stopper, or it's in the starting rotation somewhere as a 3 and D quality wing. He just needs more minutes. Right. I think Cam Redders is in the same situation similar to a guy who shares the first name as him. Once we were prior to these trades that went down this week, and that's Cam Thomas. He just needs some time. And Cam was fortunate to be solid enough to where every time he got minutes, he made the most out of them. Right. So they could never really put him on a back burner per se. Cam has had flashes too. People forget what he did in game six of the Eastern Conference Finals against Milwaukee where he came off of the bench and put up 25. So this guy has elite-level talent. The Blazers, I think, are taking a gamble, trying to do whatever they can to maximize what they have with Damian Lillard, and rightfully so. But even if it doesn't pan out with Dame, they could have a building block for the future. And I like him in the front court besides Jeremy Grant. You get an mm-hmm. athletic center over there who can protect the rim and operate besides Dame in a pick and roll game. Maybe they could have something. And they needed a young wing who could take their defense to the next level. As far as Milwaukee getting Jay Crowder, I don't mind the move. But at the same time, I was hoping that they could get a little bit better and make a a bolder move but I guess not but one thing that I did learn from this trade deadline I must admit these GMs don't give a damn about these second round picks man so don't boy (laughs) they don't care about these second round picks and if you want to get a star next year during the offseason in the summertime and you got first round picks you winning yep you winning because you can get them and if you don't have first-round picks, you kind of out of luck. No, that's the, you hit the nail on the coffin. Man. I think it was, was it three or four separate deals that had five second-round picks or exactly. four second-round picks? Exactly. 
it, it honestly just shows the value of, of what a first round pick really is because if you're shedding off five second round picks just to get an average player, you know, I mean, I talk about superstars, you know, right. no disrespect to Jay Crowder or everything, but he's not a superstar. You know, he's not an all-star. So five second round picks for an impactful guy that pretty much you're getting like a PJ Tucker for. That says a lot that, that, that says a lot. That's all I got to say. What was an under the radar move that impressed you the most with this year's trade deadline, Josh? I gotta ask you because you had guys like Jalen McDaniels. That's what I was gonna to, say. To Philly, you That's had what I was that. Gonna say. Matisse okay. Thibault, uh being traded for Jalen McDaniels. That was a very underrated move for the Sixers. Um, Jalen McDaniels just provides more. Matisse okay. Thibault isn't Matisse Thibault isn't the best three-point shooter. Um, and you could tell that he, they, he got, you know, that chemistry fell off uh, from last season's uh, playoff run. Jalen Daniel, McDaniels, he just brings better shooting. Um, he's a better, he, he does bring great def uh, de defense as well. And I think he'll fit in more with um, the James Harden, Joel Embiid duo that they, that they got over there. And, um, you know, it was a very small move. But there's also another move that just came to my mind. Uh, Mike Muscala from the Thunder going to Boston. Mm. That's very underrated, too. Because when you think about it, the dude can, he can shoot the three. Very much so can shoot the three, but he's an additional big man and size. Who is someone that they thought was going to be that type of guy for them? Danilo Gallinari. He's hurt. So now you actually have an additional re, uh, resource to help replace that missing piece. So Boston, all they did was just add more options. And they need to, considering that both of their big men right now are battling injuries, and Al Horford is, only, is, only, is not even playing back-to-backs. You need That's to true. be able to have that additional big man depth or at least strong wing depth to aid what boss is already rolling with Mike Muscola being able to shoot over 30, I think over 35% from three. That's a big stretch four. can sometimes play stretch five. That's, you know, valuable for the Boston Celtics as they make a quest to go back to the NBA finals. Yeah. I, I didn't mind that pickup at all. Boston was in a, a rich situation mm -hmm. sitting at the top of the East solid, roster-wise from top to bottom for the most part. All they really needed was added depth or insurance pieces within their front court. And to be able to get a guy who will help them space the floor as well as to provide some minutes in the absence of Al Horford on a given night where he can provide them with some size as well, unlike Blake Griffin. No disrespect to Blake Griffin because he's mm -hmm. managed to hold his own for most of the season in games when his number has been called upon to start. But Muscala, as you alluded to, will provide them with size. And then you add that ability to be able to step out and shoot, which we know Boston loves to do. I, I don't mind that move at all. That, that It didn't even really cost them that much either. So I, I, don't, I don't mind it. That's a low-risk, high-reward move that a contending team usually makes during the deadline. It doesn't really have too many weaknesses. So I, I give kudos to Boston on that as well, as well as Denver getting Thomas Bryant. I really like that move because Denver yeah. was in desperate need of a big man to back up Nikola Jokic. 
and you add him with that second unit, you're getting a guy that's a difference maker energy-wise, a guy that's going to be a rim protector and a rim runner. I'm pretty sure that guys like Jamal Murray would love to play alongside of him, and as well as Michael Porter Jr. as well, because his energy and his activity will, will be a huge benefit to that Nuggets team led by Mike Malone. But I want to ask you as we get into the closing minutes of our special edition trade deadline episode about the two teams that didn't make any moves at the trade deadline. One of which is the Cleveland Cavaliers who sit among the top four in the Eastern Conference and the other franchise being the Chicago Bulls, Mm -hmm. who, as we know, are doing everything in their power to try and fight for a playing spot in an effort to get to the playoffs as it is recorded. Cleveland, I'm not surprised by. I think they're honestly pretty poised to make a good playoff run, um, not just for now, but for the future. So they don't, they didn't necessarily need to make any specific type of trades. The Bulls, however, oh, how delusional can we be? Um, <laughs> Cause you you're making this work. You're trying to say we're gonna make this work, but we're sitting in the playing round. We're sitting at 10, 9th, 9th, 10th in the Eastern Conference with the talent of a top four team in the East. If you're being quite honest. So something's not working. Something has to give. You don't have Vucevic long-term locked up. You taking a big risk by, you know, not seeing what's out there for him. There was a report out there today uh, by Joe Colley who said that, that, you know, where the Knicks and Bulls were having talks about Zach Levine. I saw that. Like, that should show you right there, this marriage between Zach Levine and the front office ain't too sweet right now. And on top of that, uh, David Kaplan comes out and says, you know, that re- the relationship between Billy Donovan and Zach Levine, that sailed. It's not working. And if that is the case and that's what they're hearing, you know, I know for a fact that's probably more on, on Zach's side than Billy Donovan's. So with Billy being here long term, something has to give. And I just don't see how if you know that and there's no guarantees of you bringing back Vucevic, you must have some sort of strong support from his camp or from him in general saying that we, we're, we're coming back, we're going to make this work for you to not make any moves. Yes, and I, and I, and I believe uh, according to their press conference today, they said they made a lot of calls. It took a lot of calls. But for you to walk away and say nothing's getting done? I don't know that that it doesn't scream high amounts of change or aggressiveness that we know that they're capable of doing, knowing that this current roster that is built right now is not sufficient enough. It's not getting the job done. And it has been worse since last season because it's the same roster, but two extra players. So that's what I said. Like, I don't understand. Let's put it this way. I understand what they're trying to do. I don't understand why they're still going with it because right now it's not working. And it speaks for itself up front. You can see it in the play every night. So I don't, I don't know what's going on in that front office and what they're, what they're trying to do. I just know that it's going to be a very interesting offseason because if things continue to go the way that they're going, Gooch is not a guarantee to come back. You might have missed your best chance of getting high trade value for DeMar DeRozan. 
And Zach Levine, you telling me now he ain't a guarantee to be here long term? As you just gave the man 200 mil? I don't know. Sums up. Sums up in the sums up in the Windy City, man. And I'm I'm very disappointed that they didn't make any moves to bolster the the bolster this roster when we know for a fact outside looking in, something needed to be done. I think you have every right to be disappointed. I think the fans do as well here in Chicago because this was an organization that seemed like they were on their way up a year ago. Mm -hmm. And in spite of the Eastern Conference improving during the offseason in the wake of the Bulls' first-round exit at the hand of the Milwaukee Bucks, you didn't see the Bulls make too many moves then. Mm-hmm. where the only additions that they really made was adding Goran Dragic and Andre Drummond. And I think that's where a lot of things were lost. They got real comfortable with where they were as opposed to trying to upgrade their roster in the effort to take the next step up. They had just reached their first playoffs in five seasons. In order to sustain success, you have to continue to develop your roster. Yep. And not just making additions, but helping guys get better. I think the Bulls have a lot of issues. For one, player development is a huge one. Mm -hmm. Two, not only is player development a huge one, but you have a front office that's sending mixed messages. Yeah. You say you want to compete, but you don't want to go over the luxury tax to compete. Now, would I go over the luxury tax for this roster? Looking at it as currently constructed, I don't know. If I was a GM or even an owner, I don't know. I don't think I would. But when you make promises to your fans who are starting to develop trust in the ACME regime, as we know it is, and to do things behind the scenes, such as sign Billy Donovan to a contract mm-hmm. extension prior to training camp and do so under wraps only for it to come out a couple of months later from Shams himself that this went down. That's what distrust comes in. Yep. And as much as the jury is still out on the ACME regime, it's getting Getting real guard packs like it's getting mm-hmm. real guard packs like when you see moves like that being done and you see or you hear reports from david kaplan courtesy of espn 1000 chicago that zach and billy aren't seeing eye to eye you can make what you want with that but i can't say that i'm shocked that they would want to trade zach but then if you do are you really prepared to do what you need to do in an effort to build a team up to make progression into the Eastern Conference or not. And I don't think that they are. I really don't. The last time the Bulls did have some success in the previous decade, they drafted well. Mm -hmm. Maybe they do need to get some draft picks and start over because outside of Patrick Williams, the Bulls 
haven't had a first round draft pick in a couple of years outside of Dale and Terry, of course. Like that was right. the only one, but like a high lottery pick. They right. may have to, they may have to get a duo. They they may have to. And, and it's getting to that point. It really is. And it's it's getting kind of concerning. But I want to ask you before we close shop, what are your key takeaways from this year's trade deadline? And overall, who would you say? are the winners and losers. All right. Key takeaways. One, you got to have big balls. <laughs> That's just number one. You so If you want to survive the trade deadline, you got to have big balls. And the reality is the teams you expect to have the balls and the guts to do what they got to do, they did it. And they did it well. So, um, that's probably the biggest thing outside of the fact that second round picks don't really matter. <laughs> they don't, they don't care. They, they let, let's let them bad boys go. They're giving them, they're giving away like it's loose change. You find in the couch, man. So outside of that, those are probably the biggest things for me that, that took away. <clears throat> Talk about key, uh, winners and losers, winners, Lakers, Lakers is definitely one. Of course you got to get, get Phoenix in there. Dallas, because you get Kyrie Irving and gave up decent amount to get him, but you but the way he's looking in that last game against the Clippers, <laughs> yeah, yeah I'll, I'll take that risk any day. And I think those are the main winners outside of maybe the Clippers. Um, losers, I already mentioned the Bulls. That's that's a travesty. Somebody gonna go into that. But the honest other honestly, the other loser, Toronto. I'm, I'm going to Toronto because I think their strategy was to just see what the market is like for all these players that they know eventually they're gonna have to start over and get and get rid of. And they said, okay, we'll wait until the offseason. But there's the problem. Even though you can do a sign and trade for Fred Van Fleet. It's not a guarantee that's going to happen. Um, and I think you missed out on an opportunity to get back a haul for OG on for OG on uh, uh-huh. And you missed out on a haul for Pascal Siakam. Because if you're talking about constructive right now, Siakam's not going to take you to the championship. Uh, OG's not going to take you to the championship. Fred Van Fleet's not going to take you to the championship. You you came into this season as sellers. So if you knew that, I don't understand why you didn't t- take the opportunity to take and get rid of what everyone was bidding for you to officially get that time to start over. So and, and it's not like they brought in additional players to – really take them to the next level because as much, outside of uh Jacob um his, his I forgot Yacopoto. His, yeah Yacopoto. yeah Yacopoto, yeah outside of him which you know which was a pretty good move does this make this team that much better no it doesn't it just makes them a little bit more average so I think Toronto missed their mark when it came to that now it's probably a good strategy because the offseason can dictate a lot of things and I wouldn't be surprised. I'm not doubting uh, Nasir uh, Nigeri because that's he's that's what he's great at doing. Um, but I do think that as of right now, 
they could have helped. I think they in their own in their own rights held the lead from getting that much better because they're not gonna get that much because they're gonna not gonna get that much better at all. They could have they prevented the league from getting that much better for especially contenders taking things to that next level. I don't know if they prevented the league from getting better, but they sure as hell presented prevented themselves from doing it. Mm-hmm. They prevented themselves from doing it. They were trying to sell high. And they were trying to buy low. The funny part is, is that they came into the deadline looking to sell. And they actually ended up buying because they bought Yaku Poto. Mm-hmm. And it's obvious based off of what we've seen transpire this week that they view themselves as a playoff team, not a playing team, but as a playoff team, they really think that they are. But even if they are a playoff team, let's be realistic. How far do we see them going? Cause right. me personally, I don't see them going any further than they did last year. And that's a first round exit. And that's if they get to the playoffs, because as of now, they're fighting for a playing spot, similar right. to the other loser in my opinion, which you also named the Bulls. Those two teams were the biggest losers in the trade deadline period. They they were by far. And I don't know how Gary Trent Jr. didn't get moved. Right. A guy who really could have helped the team with his three-point shooting and defensive prowess on the perimeter. I don't know how he didn't get moved at all. Fred Van Vliet either. But I think they were looking to really sell high. The one thing that I took away from this deadline is that first-round picks are going to come at a cost, an extreme cost. And if you want stars, you better be willing to give them up. Mm -hmm. And I think that's why you didn't see guys like OG Anunobi get traded because once Kevin Durant landed in Phoenix, his price went up. And I was of the mindset to believe, well, he's going to stay put and they're going to try to revisit this thing. Yeah. Because Masai Ujiri is a guy, let's be real. If you look at his track record, he don't get finessed. Right. Carmelo Anthony trade, Kawhi Leonard trade. Just look it up. Like the man is one of the best execs for a reason, but I think the Bulls and the Raptors were the biggest losers. I kind of want to put the Lakers in there. And, and I give I give Rob credit. Mm. He tried. He tried. <laughs> but the West just got better. It did. It got better. And if it was a couple days ago, it could have worked. But now, I don't know. As far as winners, to me, it's simple. The Phoenix Suns won. The Los Angeles Clippers won. The other teams in the Western Conference, in my opinion, outside of Dallas, they lost. They, they lost. I mean, the, the West is loaded. It's, it, yeah. it, it, it's going to be a dogfight. And these first-round playoff matchups are going to be something to behold. And it's funny because so many people want to say that the West was weak just a month ago. It sure did. Man, it sure did. I, know, I, know, I know it's a change of heart now. <laughs> and, I, and, I'm, and I'm just going to leave it at that. And with that said, I'd like to thank all of those who
who took out the time to listen in to a special edition of Open Run, breaking down all the top moves and storylines to take shape this year during the trade deadline, as well as those who have followed the show throughout the 2022-23 NBA season. Please make sure to check out me and Josh's exclusive conversation with James K of the Chicago Tribune, talking about the future of the Chicago sky and where they go moving forward in free agency during our most recent episode of Open Run, available to watch on War Media's YouTube channel and listen to across all podcast platforms. In addition to the latest episode of the At Bat Podcast with Saul Rodriguez and Miles Porter, if you're a diehard baseball fan, those two had the distinct pleasure of speaking with their guest, Andrew Zimmer, highlighting the AL Central and other hot offseason storylines across the MLB. That's also available for you to check out alongside the Super Bowl special with Saul breaking down the things you should expect to see in the big game besides Joe Tanksley, the host of the Under Center podcast, breaking down all Bears football-related things on NBC Sports Chicago, Kenneth Davis, as well as Philadelphia journalist J. Scott Smith. Once again, my name is Gabriel Wilkins, signing off on another show beside my man Josh Hicks. So long, everyone.